Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the starter. Week 5, Wabash Wolfpack at Ionath Krakens. Planet Division Standings. In first, the Toe Pirates at 4-0. In second, the Isis Ice Storm at 3-0. Tied for third with records of 2-1, the Lou Juggernauts and the Wabash Wolfpack. Four teams tied for fifth with records of 2-2. The Coronada Delana Cloudkillers, the Yall Criminals, the Hitoni Hullwalkers, and the Mars Planets. In ninth place, the Alamum Armada with a record of 1-2, and, and tied for last at 1-3, the Themala Dreadnoughts and the Ionath Krakens. Standings for the Solar Division. In first place at 4-0, the Dachau War Dogs. Tied for second with records of 3-1, the New Rodina Astronauts and the Board Brigands. Tied for fourth with records of 2-2, two two, the Sala Intrigue and the Neptune Scarlet Flyers. Tied for sixth with records of 1-2, and two, the Bartell Waterbugs and the Jupiter Jacks. Tied for eighth with records of 1-3, and three, the Shora Warlords and the Jang Atom Smashers. And tied for last place with records of 0-3, the Chillich Spider Bears and the Vic Vanguard. Just like the touchback up in orbit, the Ionath Stadium had a full Kriegsbalik virtual practice system. Tucked in a sub-basement somewhere beneath the home stands, the VR field let players work out against full, photorealistic opposition. Quentin had arrived at 4.45 a.m., dead set on beating Rebecca Montaigne to the field. He had beaten her, but only by five minutes. If their budding, work-ethic rivalry kept escalating, neither one of them would get any sleep at all. They didn't speak to each other, just ran pattern drills until Halawa, Haywick, and Milford arrived 10 minutes later for the voluntary pre-practice workout. Over the next 90 minutes, they all worked up a sweat. Halawa was learning quickly, a combination of her natural skill and the nurturing of Haywick and Milford. Rebecca Montaigne would never throw a football in Tier 1, but Quentin had to admit she had great hands. She wouldn't be mistaken for a world-class receiver, but she could catch and turn up field almost instantly. At 6.30 a.m., they all walked out of the VR room and headed to the main field for morning practice. They came out of the tunnel to a new site. The rest of the Krakens sitting in the stands at the 50-yard line, packed together as if for a team photo. Hey Q, Rebecca said. What's all this then? Quentin shrugged. Beats me, I've never seen this before. Hokor's golf cart hovered at the 50, right above the sidelines. The cart turned to face Quentin and the others. Barnes, get over here! The owner wishes to address the team! Quentin and his early morning workout partners were apparently the last ones to report. Quentin and Rebecca started jogging to the sidelines. The Sklorno, of course, sprinted at top speed and were already up and into the stands before Quentin was even halfway there. Greedock the Splithead stood on the sidelines, waiting. Quentin and Rebecca jogged faster. At the back of the sideline section sat the stadium wall that, on game day, separated the fans from the players and staff. 
Masali efficient stood at that wall, holding open a door that led up into the stands. Quentin walked through and up the stand steps, saw Yitzhak waving him over. Quentin sat next to the third-string QB. Zach, what's going on? Greedock wants to talk to us, and now is not the time for your smart-ass attitude. Just be quiet and listen, cool? Yitzhak seemed very anxious, as if any untoward action from Quentin might result in serious repercussions. Quiet! Hokor called out over his cart speakers. Greedock the Splithead is going to speak! Greedock took a step closer to the wall. Morning sunlight radiated off his purple shirt and platinum jewelry. This week, we host the Wabash Wolfpack. Greedock said. The Wabash owner is an old acquaintance of mine. And by acquaintance, I mean that a high point of my life will be to see her dead. Greedock paused, looking over his team. Black clouds seemed to swirl in his one big eye. Even though the stadium was vast in open air, none of the Krakens dared to make a sound. The silence added to the tension. Her name is Gloria Ogawa, Greedock said. She is responsible for the death of my championship quarterback, Bobby Aronik. She was cleared by the GFL of any wrongdoing, but I do not care. She killed him. Since this franchise was relegated for the 26-77 season, I have been waiting to play her team. Six long years. I have watched Wabash play in Tier 1, while Ionath has told away in the shame that is Tier 2. Greedock's eye flooded so black that the cornea looked like plastic. Quentin leaned back a little, noticed that other players were doing the same. Tiny and physically harmless, Greedock had a presence that made one know who was boss. If you do not win this week, if you lose in my stadium, in my city, I will be very, very disappointed. Greedock turned and walked toward the tunnel. The Kraken sat quietly, watching him go. Well, go team, Quentin said finally. I don't know about you guys, but that is one whale of a pep talk. A few nervous laughs filtered out of the human players. All right! Hokor screamed through his loudspeakers. As if that wasn't enough motivation, we need a win to start climbing out of last place. First offense against practice squad defense. And no contact! I don't need another injury! Quentin and his teammates stood and walked onto the field. Today's practice would be light, just enough to keep in form before tomorrow's game. Tomorrow's game against what appeared to be the mortal enemy of Greedock, the Splithead. The hit came from his blind side, pounding the small of his back, driving him face-first into the blue field of Ionath Stadium. Quentin had held onto the ball too long, again, and had paid the price. He tried to get from his knees to his feet, but it was slow going. He hurt so bad. A big hand grabbed his arm and lifted him up as casually as a child picking up a rag doll. Quentin was on his feet before he knew it, turning to look at Wabash Wolfpack defensive tackle Stephen Wardup. Wardup wore the Wolfpack away uniform, a pearlescent white jersey with red letters trimmed in black and a red band that led from the underside of the sleeves down the flanks. The red band lined up with a matching one that continued down the white leg armor. 
A black-trimmed, red wolf head logo dominated the right shoulder. The wolf's snapping jaws ending at the left peck, just above Wardup's number 90. The tip of that same logo ended on his back, just above the number there. The effect gave him one red shoulder, one white shoulder. Both sides of his red helmet carried the same logo. You can really fly, you know that, Barnes? Wardop said. Hit like that, maybe you should think about insurance. You call that a hit? The big tackle laughed. No, my friend, I call that a launch. I mean, you just sailed. Something flies that far, it ought to have a punch engine in it. Quentin rolled his eyes, slapped Wardup lightly in the helmet. Wardup had spent so much time in the Kraken's backfield that he and Quentin now traded jokes like old friends. The sack had brought up fourth and fifteen. Quentin started jogging off the field as the punt team came on. As he ran, he couldn't help but looking high up above the sidelines, above the lower deck, and into the luxury boxes of the rich, the famous, and the owner. Even from down here, he could make out the tiny form of Greedock the Splithead. Standing right next to him, a human woman. It was too far away to see their expressions, but he knew that Gloria Ogawa was smiling and that Greedock was doing everything in his power to keep his eye clear, keep his fur flat. Midway through the fourth quarter, Wabash 35, Ionath 14. Yasud wasn't running worth a damn. The Krakens had to pass to move the ball. Michael Kimberlin's individual protection was excellent, but he hadn't gelled with his fellow offensive linemen. Wolfpack defenders slipped through in the confusion. Wabash also kept dropping linebackers into coverage, taking away the short and underneath routes. That made Quentin hold on to the ball a little bit longer, waiting for the routes to develop, and when you held on to the ball, you were going to give up sacks. Wabash was willing to take their chances on letting Yasud break a big run. The gamble paid off with hits on the Kraken's quarterback. Quentin had done something to his right knee, or rather, Wardup had done something to it. Quentin's lower left ribs hurt, but only when he ran, or walked, or breathed. Yasud had racked up 12 carries in the first half for a whopping total of 23 yards before Hokor just gave up on him. In the second half, desperate for a solution, Hokor let everyone have a shot. Jay Martinez carried the ball five times for 15 yards. Kopor the climber had a rare four carries for 10 yards. Tom Perlis notched 11 yards on three carries. And even Becca the Recca Montaigne got into the act, carrying four times for nine yards. Hokor needed someone to break out, to show something in a game they had not shown on the practice field. Hokor did not find what he was looking for. Wabash quarterback Rick Bennett played well, not setting the world on fire, but not turning the ball over either. Wolfpack coach Alan Rourke capitalized on his team's defensive dominance, using conservative play calling aimed at ball control and field position. Tailback John Ellsworth followed bruising fullback Ralph Schmier into the holes, taking on all tacklers and always falling forward. When the Wolfpack did throw, Bennett kept his passes short, connecting to tight end Alexander Van Houten and wiry wide receiver Naxup for 8 yards here, 10 yards there, chipping away at the Kraken's defense. Against Ionath's anemic offense, the game plan worked like a charm. As the clock reached zero, Quentin heard something that set his soul on edge. The boos of the Ionath Stadium crowd, the hiss of quith workers rubbing their petty palps together 
and that species' favorite sound of derision and disappointment. Quentin couldn't blame the fans, not one bit. Heading into their bye week, the Krakens were 1-4 and four and in last place. They weren't on a collision course for a Tier 1 championship, not anymore. Now, they were flying headlong toward relegation and a trip back to Tier 2. And, perhaps even worse than that, they had disappointed Redock, the Splithead. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. To the galaxy's greatest damn sports show with Dan and Ekbar and Terrence the Smasher. Okay, Colin, now you've established that inbreeding runs in your family for at least six generations, possibly seven, so we really don't need to listen to any more of your dribble. Scolorno owns soccer, always have, always will. Humans can't compete. I just don't like that game, Dan. You and me both. All right, this is Sunday post game review, so let's get back on the topic of GFL. Two big stories today, Frank Zimmer's concussion and the passing of Sika the Death, owner and founder of the Orbiting Death in the Quith-Irradiated League in Tier 2. Sad to see Sika go. I played my last two years of football for him. Hold on, hold on, big fella. Did you say, see him go? Isn't that kind of a nice term for a shuttle crashing into his office, killing him and four other sentients? Accidents happen. Yeah, Akbar, accidents happen. Come on, guys. Isn't it time we talked about organized crime's influence over the game? No, Akbar. It is most definitely not time to talk about that. When is a good time? 
Next week? Oh, I know a good time. How about never? You're just afraid that the gangsters that run this league will get mad at you. And why would I worry about that, Akbar? Because maybe a shuttle just flew into an office of one of those alleged gangsters? Do these really sound like the kind of sentience you want to anger? I'm not afraid. These gangsters are ruining the game. I disagree. At least in the case of the orbiting dove. What? More quith leader worship from a quith warrior? Wow. What a surprise. It's bigger than that. Sika founded the Orbiting Death. He built them into a quality Tier 2 franchise that was always close to reaching Tier 1. They never made it, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Sika took chances on players that other teams wouldn't. Discipline cases like Jew Tweedy, or players that other teams thought were over the hill, like me. I know Sika wasn't a model citizen, but it was his money and influence that resulted in the construction of Orbital Station 1's first intergalactic caliber sports facility, Beef Eater Gin Stadium. <laughs> don't you mean the ace hole? Whew, that one never gets old. I don't know why you humans always laugh at that name, the ace hole. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the stadium and its jet black field is a major cultural unification point for the sentience of OS-1. Sick of the Death was a great owner, and he built an excellent organization. I will miss him. Well, you can shed a giant tear from your giant eye, Terret, but I'm more concerned about how his death impacts the Orbiting Death franchise. Who owns it now? Uh, reports are that Anna Vellani, sick as second in command, has taken over his, uh, his affairs. What do you want to bet? That she knows people in the shuttle crashing business. So she has Sika whacked, and now she owns a GFL franchise? Well, doesn't someone have to own it? Sure, but should the League reward murder? Hey, hey, ho, slow down there, Chief. Let's not go throwing around the M-word. Miss Villani might not appreciate that. Let's change the subject and talk about Frank Zimmer's concussion. Human brains are so fragile. Despite all the protective gear technology, concussions continue to be a major source of injury. I don't know why they can't just invent a better helmet. It's not that easy, Akbar. There are physics involved. What do you mean, physics? Physics is the science of matter and energy and interaction between the two, Akbar. Oh, come on. I know what physics is, Smasher. I'm asking why the great brains of the universe... Those computerized egghead science of the League of Planets, why can't they make a better helmet? Well, from what I understand, there is so much mass and force when a 600-pound key nails you that your brain bounces off the inside of your skull. Helmets can protect the outside, but unless they put some kind of shock absorber between your skull and your brain, not much can be done. Hence, the situation we have with another Frank Zimmer concussion. His seventh, I believe. That's right, Terrett, his seventh. And this time, Zimmer went down for the count. He took a vicious hit from Mars Planet Safety, Parbhani, and was taken out of the game. The Pirates had been up 14 to nothing, but with Zimmer out, the offense couldn't do anything. The Planets came back to tie it up in the fourth quarter, then win 17-14 in overtime. The Pirates' first loss of the season, and the concussion is apparently so bad that Zimmer will not play this week against the Isis Ice Storm in a battle for first place in that division. I think this puts the Pirates' entire season in question. Their backup quarterback is not at Frank Zimmer's level. It's not like people didn't see this coming. Zimmer can't quarterback forever. Why didn't the Pirates go out and find a backup quarterback they could groom to take over? The rumor was that they were going after Quentin Barnes. Hey, if that's true, the Pirates could still get their man. If Barnes stays in Tier 1, the Pirates can't touch him this year or next due to league regulations. But if the Krakens drop down to Tier 2, then Barnes is a free agent. Why would Barnes want to leave the Krakens? My sources tell me that Barnes is making league minimum. What? No way, Terrett! My sources assure me it's true. You heard it here first, Universe! 
Quentin Barnes, the quarterback of the Tier 1 INF Krakens, is making league minimum. Let's get some response to this. Line 3 from Orbital Station 2, you're on the space. Go. You gotta be kidding me, league minimum? My garbage man makes more than league minimum. I find that you hard know, to believe. They do say garbage minimum. Quentin sank into the healing warmth of a training room rejuve tank. Doc Patah hovered over him, checking readouts, positioning a clamshell fixture over Quentin's right knee. Is it bad, Doc? I mean, it hurts, but it doesn't feel that bad. You have a slight tear in your ACL, Doc Patah said. In its current state, you could have easily shredded it. I admire you wanting to ignore pain, Quentin, but you need to tell me when you are hurting. I thought you said we footballers weren't tough, at least not compared to your fancy mixed martial arts fighters. Different sport. Fighters do not have backups that can spell them for a few plays if the doctor needs to make adjustments. They also have one fight every seven or eight months, not a season of 12 games. You're not a child anymore, Quentin. You are the focal point of a multi-billion credit business. Quentin opened his mouth to argue, but realized he didn't have a counterpoint. At any rate, it is minor. 20 minutes in the tank. No strenuous activity tonight or tomorrow, and you'll be fine. Doc's mouth flaps called up the tank's controls. He moved icons, and the clamshell fixture closed on Quentin's knee. Quentin felt cold metal for a moment, then a poke as the nerve blockers kicked in, then nothing. He picked up some vibrations in his thigh, the echo of tiny machines burrowing into his knee to repair the damage. Quentin settled in, put his head back on the tank's rear lip, and closed his eyes. He wasn't sure how long he had sat there or if he'd fallen asleep when he heard a voice that he did not want to hear. You failed me. Quentin opened his eyes and sat up, as much as he could sit up, with his knee gripped in the fixture. Greedock, the splithead, sat on a tiny stool just outside the rejuve tank. No one else was in the room. Quentin felt a stab of tension, then forced it away. The rejuve tank's warm goo comforted him, relaxed him. He could use that to keep his emotions steady, not betray anything to the half-pint crime lord. I am humiliated. You are the quarterback. Therefore, it is your fault. Quentin nodded. That's right. Redox stared at him for a moment. Quentin ignored the urge to talk, to fill the silence. I just said it is your fault that I am humiliated and you agree with me. Most sentients would try to deflect my disappointment, knowing what might happen to them if they do not. Why do you not attempt to share the blame? Because you're right. I am the quarterback. It is my team. Whatever reasons for the loss, the buck stops with me. They sat there for another long minute, perhaps two, neither saying a word. Quentin knew Greedock was measuring him, looking for tells, for signs. But this time, there would be none to find. Quentin would not pass the blame to anyone else that might suffer Greedock's wrath. Barnes, perhaps I have been wrong. I have been using threats to motivate you, what humans call the stick. Perhaps someone like you, someone who chooses to accept responsibility and ownership, perhaps you need the carrot. Quentin said nothing. I know you are looking for your parents. Quentin's heart hammered for a second, but he calmed himself let the healing gel relax him. Now was not the time to show emotions. Did Greedock know about Frederico? Barnes, I am a powerful being. Very powerful. You know this? Quentin nodded. 
I have considerable reach, considerable resources. If I were to put those resources to work for you, you might find your family sooner. I would appreciate that, Greedock. But what's the catch? The catch, Barnes, is that I have two goals for the season. The first was to beat Gloria Ogawa, and you failed at that. And the second? To stay in Tier 1. Greedock leaned forward, his softball-sized eye only a few inches from Quentin's face. Quentin could see each individual hair in the silky black fur, see through the cornea to the small discs that line the inside. So here is your carrot, Barnes. If you keep the Krakens in Tier 1, I will find your family. I have police, judges, even generals on my payroll. Whatever the cost, I will find their whereabouts. And if I don't find a way to keep us in Tier 1? Greedock stood and waddled away. He stopped at the door and turned. If you don't find a way, Barnes, then you will be back in Tier 2. The entire galaxy will consider you a loser. Is there anything that would frighten you worse? Quentin slowly shook his head. Find a way, Barnes, Greedock said. You find a way, and for this one thing, you will find out just what a powerful friend I can be. Greedock left the training room. Moments later, the knee fixture beeped and released, snapping open, freeing his limb. Quentin stared at it for a moment, contemplated getting up, then finally put his head back down, closed his eyes, and let the warm rejuve fluid carry him off to sleep. Week 5 Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. A thrilling week of GFL action saw all undefeated teams finally suffer the bitter taste of loss. In a major upset, the previously winless Vic Vanguard, now 1-3, edged out the previously undefeated Dakar War Dogs, now 4-1, by a score of 20-18. The Board Brigands, 4-1, moved into a first-place tie with the War Dogs in the solo division thanks to a 17-10 win over the Bartell Waterbugs, who are 1-3. The Toll Pirates also dropped their first of the season, falling 17-14 to the Mars Planets, who are now 3-2. Things don't get any easier for the Pirates, who face the Isis Ice Storm, who are 3-1, next week in a battle for first place in the Planet Division. The Ice Storm is tied for second with the Lou Juggernauts, who are 3-1, and, and the Wabash Wolfpack, who are also 3-1. Deaths. No deaths reported this week. Offensive Player of the Week. Dreadnought's quarterback Gavin Warren, who was 18 for 22 with three TD passes in Thermala's 21-10 win over the Chillage Spider Bears. Defensive Player of the Week. Cloud Killers cornerback Smileyberg, who had five tackles and two interceptions, including one she returned 34 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. 
theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.